You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. I really hope you will join us next weekend uh, for the parenting conference. It will be a great time uh, together, and, and uh, I hope that you will register today. And I uh, want to start uh, this morning by kind of bringing to your attention maybe a conversation that you had with someone. Uh, you you kind of ran into somebody. You kind of felt like it was by chance, and it was kind of this random meeting with somebody that you knew or somebody that maybe you didn't know. And, and uh, as you started to talk, you, you kind of, the conversation kind of led to to more of a spiritual conversation. Um, maybe you talked about Jesus. Maybe you ended up talking about, you know, your church. And uh, you, you essentially really just began to encourage that person. And, and, uh, or maybe, you know, you had the need and that person encouraged you. And you knew that by the end of that conversation, because of how it went, because of how you were encouraged or how you blessed that person, you knew that it wasn't by accident that you ran into him or her. You, you knew it wasn't just by chance that you saw them and, and, and you realized that it really was God that, that brought you together. It really was an intentional like, like crossing of paths that, that God did and, and you encountered this person, I, I had this happen to me uh, last Saturday. It was early in the morning. I just got a cup of coffee out. It was really quiet. And, and all of a sudden, somebody knocked on my front door. And I could see through the windows uh, that it was a couple of kids, and they were selling Krispy Kreme donuts. And I knew that God had, could, before the foundations of the earth, he had ordained this moment in this time for me, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually did a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Brant was preaching, I had a chance just to kind of hang out and uh, just kind of observe and, and be a part of various ministries on Sunday. And so I found myself in the cafe during the third service and uh, the service had already started and, and uh, I'm in there talking to some folks and this, this uh, lady walks in and, and uh, she wanted to grab some coffee. She had come out of the service. We kind of introduced, uh, um, uh, you know, introduced myself, she introduced herself and, and uh, come to find out the reason why she left the service was because her sister had called her and was talking to her about a, a major issue that was going on in her life and it had just kind of blown up and so she was kind of talking to her at that moment and, and so she was a little fr- flustered and emotional and, and uh, we, we got to talk about that and, and uh, my sister-in-law was in there as well and, and as we're talking with her and just, she was just kind of sharing her heart for some of her family members that were going through this situation, um, my, my sister-in-law said, hey, can we just pray over you and can we pray for you right now? And she just prayed this really simple but beautiful prayer over her. And uh, by the end of the prayer, I mean, uh, they were crying and, and uh, I was looking at the ceiling, you know, holding them back. And, and uh, it was just like this really powerful moment. And come to find out, she, was, she, she moved here to Tennessee from the really close to the city where I was born in. And so we kind of had that kind of connection there. And, and uh, it was just a, a, a powerful, powerful moment. She was like, I'm sorry I took so much time. And we we're like, no, this was incredible. And um, it was just a great, great experience. And, 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 and I look at that situation, I'm like, man, God really orchestrated that conversation. How, uh, when am I ever in the third service in the cafe? When, when does that ever happen for me? Like once maybe in a blue moon, it just happened at that time. Who gets a phone call that gets caught? So many different things happen in order for those things to line up. And I just knew it was a God appointment. It was a divine appointment, a divine encounter. And I really believe that God wants us to experience these things on a regular basis. I really believe he provides these opportunities for us on a regular basis. We just, we just don't see them. 
God wants us to bless someone with this random meeting or God wants to bless us in that meeting, but so often we're too busy to recognize them. We're, we're, we're too busy focused on our task or, or what's at hand, or maybe we're just too selfish. But God wants you to experience divine appointments, a, a, a divine meeting with someone. And, and I just kind of define that uh, meeting as, as something that God orchestrates between two people or a group of people and, and uh, for their mutual benefit. And it's surrounded around a gospel conversation. And a gospel conversation is, is just any conversation that you would have where you're talking about what Jesus is doing into your, in your life or, or, or essentially what Jesus has done for mankind. And, and so it's, a gospel conversation is different than, than if you are you know, sharing the gospel. If you're sharing the gospel, there, there are some certain you know, things that you, you need to really cover and talk about before you can actually say you, you really discuss the gospel. I mean, you got to talk about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus um, you, you've got to talk about penal substitution, that Jesus is taking our punishment on the cross. And so there are some specifics, but a gospel conversation is still a huge kind of conversation for us to have as believers because we want to, we want to talk about what Jesus is doing in our life, who Jesus is, and, and we want to bless people with not just our knowledge, but we want to encourage people with that biblical advice and wisdom. And, and so I really believe that God wants us to experience this, but I think a lot of Christians just get hung up on talking about spiritual matters. We think, well, we don't know enough about the Bible to really talk about the gospel because we think we have to have, you know, this elaborate, you know, explanation or, you know, to explain the plan of salvation and we have to lead somebody to Christ and we don't know how to do that. And, and it's not successful if we don't do all those parts. And so, so we just kind of, you know, uh, avoid it or we don't even do it. But when you read the Bible, you read and, and you see that, you know, the, the, the Lord talks about how some people plant seeds and plant seeds of faith in, in other people's lives. And then other people water those seeds, but God is the one that makes faith grow. And so we see that in, in, in the New Testament. And, and so I want to encourage you today to be a seed planter, to, to plant seeds of, of faith and seeds of the gospel in people's lives. And, and then I also want you to see yourself as somebody that carries around, you know, one of those water buckets that that just begins to water the seeds that have been planted by, by others. And maybe you're going to talk to somebody this week and, and maybe their great grandmother or their grandmother or mom planted a seed of faith in that person's life many, many years ago. But then you came around and, and, and you watered that faith. And who knows, it might be your influence or your conversation that actually God uses to allow that faith to grow. So we need a bunch of water buckets in the room. We need a bunch of people who are going to commit to, to planting seeds and watering seeds in your day, every day, when God gives you these opportunities to talk with people. And, and so what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. But in Acts 8, we're going to see a man who is, is an incredible dude. I mean, he's, his name is Philip, and, and uh, we, we see in the beginning of, of this chapter that he, he goes to this uh, city, this area called Samaria. He shares the gospel. Many, many people come to know uh, the Lord as a result. Uh, we see that he's called the evangelist in Acts 21. And in Acts 6, they choose him because he was full of the Spirit uh, and, and, and just was an incredible leader. He had a heart for people. He had a heart to talk about the gospel. He had a heart for Jesus. And so if, you're, if, you, ha if you weren't here, if you're kind of new, we started this series several weeks ago. We, we went through uh, the first seven chapters of, of Acts, and then we took a break. We did a couple of other sermon series. And, and so now we're diving back into Acts here. And, and uh, essentially, I'm going to remind you what, what's happened. You know, 
Matthew 28, the end of the gospels, Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, and teach them everything that I've, I've told you to do. In Acts 1, Jesus says to his disciples, you're gonna be my witnesses to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and the first six chapters are the disciples being witnesses in Jerusalem. And let me just remind you, you know, they, they had 40 days with Jesus after he you know, resurrected, and then they spent 10 days in prayer after he leaves. And after those 10 days, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two and changes everything. And Peter preaches and thousands of people come to know the Lord. And over the next eight weeks, the church grows to at least 8,000 people. I think it's much more than that, but at least 8,000 people in eight weeks. Now, imagine if our church grew by eight thousand people in eight weeks. Imagine if your business grew from, you know, wherever, you know, wherever you're at and it grew by 8,000, you know, sales or eight, eight million, whatever it is that compares to your, your company or whatever. But, but I mean, this is amazing, you know, growth. And, and I want us to remember that the same spirit of God that was active and living and moving in Acts chapter two is alive and well today. Amen. Are you with me on that? Yeah. I mean, it's not like back then was super awesome Holy Spirit, you know, Holy Spirit part one. And now in 2017, we kind of got like part two Holy Spirit working and moving. And so it's not as good. I mean, it's good, but it's not as good. I mean, that's not how it works. Like it's the same spirit of God that wants to do incredible great things in our life today that was doing incredible miracles and awesome things in Acts chapter two as well. And so I think it's important for us to to see this. And as we look at this story, I want to start in Acts uh, 8 verse 26, and we're going to see a story about Philip engaging in this Ethiopian guy, and he, he shares his faith. And, and what we're going to see is a man that is on mission. I mean, he is, he is on mission. He is about sharing the gospel. He's caring for people. And, and I think we can learn some important, like, principles when it comes to us today. Like, how do we engage people with the gospel? And, and how can we really impact people when God gives us a divine encounter, when he, when he allows us to cross paths with somebody uh, intentionally? It, it was an encounter that God orchestrated for us to bless them and, and maybe for them to bless us. And we're going to see this today, I hope. You'll see it. Verse 26, let's read it together. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go. It's interesting. Just notice a little tidbit. Like every time God is like asking people to do something, he's always asking them to go. Go do something. Because you can't just stay in one place and, and, and you know, do everything God wants you to do. You've got to go. You've got to go do what God is calling you to do. And so, so the Spirit tells him to rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. Verse 27, so he obeys. He felt God, okay, he wants me to go here. I'm gonna rise, I'm gonna go. Verse 27, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Very important guy here. He was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning, seated in his chariot. So rich dude, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So again, we see God is telling him to go over, go do stuff, go, go be, you know, be moving and, 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 and be uh, obedient. He says, go over and join this chariot, verse 30. So Philip ran to him. So I mean, like he's literally, he's, he's moving quickly and he joins this chariot, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked. So Philip is, is, is asking this guy a question. 
which is great. I mean, this is, this is, this is like sharing your faith 101. He, he asked the man a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless somebody guides me? <laughs> I mean, literally, how, how am I supposed to know what this means? How, is, how, how are your friends and your family members supposed to understand the Bible? Many of you are new Christians or you're just here kind of checking out Christianity. And so you read the Bible, you, you, you know, you're even listening to me teach and you're just like, dude, I, you know, whoa, I don't know. You know, how do you know unless somebody guides you? Everybody needs a guide in life. And, and, and so if you're a follower of Christ today, I believe God's calling you to be a guide. And so he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Verse 32, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was Isaiah 53, which says this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For, for his life is taken away from the earth. And so we know this is a prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah from the book of Isaiah. But the guy doesn't know this. And until you're a follower of Christ, you have no clue what this is talking about. We need a guide. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or somebody else? In other words, who's this guy talking about? Then Philip opened his mouth. He began with this scripture and he told him the good news. The good news is the gospel. The good news that, 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 that Jesus came down on the cross, forgives us of our sins. So he, he gives him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Remember, this was a desert area. So, hey, there's water. Doesn't happen often. You know, there's not a lot of water, you know, just nearby. But they, they came to some water. And the man asked, what prevents me from being baptized? Great question. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is an amazing story, great story. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn uh, from this story. And so let me give you a few principles of how you and I, as followers of Christ, can live on mission. Um, and, and we know the mission is to make disciples. We realize that the church is not the destination. We are, we are being sent out. We are going every day. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, that word go literally means as you are going. And so we, we know the church is kind of like an airport. We live close to the airport. Every, every day I'm here at the office, I hear airports flying over the church, you know, and it reminds me that we're kind of like an airport. I mean, you don't go to McGee Tyson and, uh, you know, with your family to go on vacation and get to gate number two and start high-fiving. Woohoo! we made it. Gate two, baby. This is going to be an awesome week, right? We're right next to the restaurant. The, you know, the restrooms are right there. This is going to be a great vacation. Right? You don't do that. Because an airport isn't your final destination. The airport is a connecting point to get you to where you want to go. And that's the same thing that, that the church is. We gather here today to be equipped, to worship together, to give together, to serve together, to encourage one another. But the real work is when we leave. That's why you hear us say, don't just come to church, be the church. Be the church at home. Be the church at your office. Be the church in your neighborhood. Don't this is why we sing songs like, I'm, I'm leaving my religion. That song earlier today, I'm laying down my religion. I want to know you, Lord. Because following Jesus, being a follower of Christ, isn't about following a religion. It's not about, you know, grasping all of these religious concepts. It's, it's not that at all. It's not about institutionalization. This is about a relationship that we have with Jesus and that we are living with him and for him. And we are helping other people understand the grace and love of Jesus. And so living on mission, what we see Philip doing here, first of all, is, is he's on the lookout for opportunities. 
And so this is an encouragement I would give to you. Be on the lookout for the next opportunity that God wants to give to you to share your faith, to encourage someone with a gospel conversation. Philip was told to go to, to Gaza. We, we're, we're told to go to work. We have to go to work. We have to do things. There are certain things that are on your schedule. And so often, because this is my task, because this is what I have to do, I can get tunnel vision and I can get so focused on what Trent needs to do that I don't see the needs that are around me. And, and, and many of us, I think, kind of struggle with that. We, we just kind of walk by the needs that are around us and they're hurting people all over our city. We want to slow down and we want to be on the lookout for the next opportunity. I think even serving in God's church can get so distracting that we forget to tell people why we're even here. Do you get so caught up in working for God here in this church that you forget to tell people why you even come here? I think it's a good question to ask. I think God tells you to go because he has someone out there that needs to know, right? So we're, we're called to go because there are people out there that need to know. They need to know the gospel. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know that, that God has a plan and a purpose for their life. And no, I'm not perfect and I'm never gonna be perfect. And sometimes I do things that offend people and I, I hurt people's feelings and I, I don't want to do that. But because of, of sin, I'm gonna mess up. And I don't want people at work and I don't want people in, in, in my community to, to see that as like I'm a hypocrite. I want them to see that, man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sinful to my core. But I do love Jesus and I want you to know what, what, what I've experienced and the grace and love of the cross and what that means and how it changed my life and how it's changed my marriage and how it continues to change my life on a regular basis. And so we're not calling anybody to be perfect here before they can share their faith. We're calling people to be real. Like, this is my struggle. Here's where I'm at. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey with the Lord. and I want to live my life on mission, so I want to be on the lookout for opportunities. Philip is obeying God here. God's telling him to go to Gaza. God's leading him to talk to people, engage him, ask questions. And, you know, this is part of looking for opportunities. So often we just want to box God in, you know. I want to box God in. God... You can have, you know, Sundays, and so this is the box that you can work in. Do something really cool, you know, in my life on Sundays. But at work, that's a different box. And, and so you can't, you know, you're not going to do anything there. And I get that. I'm not going to do much there. And, and, and when I'm, you know, in my hobby mode, whatever I, I love to do on the weekends, that's, that's that box. And so don't mess with me there either. And so we just compartmentalize our life, and we try to box God in, and we say, we want you to do something here, God, but we're not really concerned about you here. But that's not how God's power and the Spirit of God works. We don't, we don't operate on our schedule. We, we operate on God's schedule and His timing. And so when opportunities present themselves, we have to be ready and willing. We have to see these opportunities. But, but isn't that the problem? So often we don't see them. I find that I usually don't find things that I'm not looking for. <laughs> it's kind of a principle of life, right? We just, we just don't find things that we're not looking for sometimes. And I've come to kind of learn this and be reminded of this truth. I'm in the market for a new car. And so um, I, I just decided I've been in Blount County now for eight years. And, and the DNA of Blount County has infiltrated my bones. And so I'm looking for a truck. <laughs> and I uh, just decided time to get a truck, you know. And so I don't know why. I always said I'm not going to drive a truck. But now I'm here and I've, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And, and uh, I decided I was going to get a Ford truck. And so I don't want to offend anybody if you sell cars or whatever. But that's just where I'm at. And, and uh, here's what I learned when I decided, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm, I, think, I think that's the one. That's what I'm looking for. 
immediately when I made that decision, I realized that everybody in this room seems to drive a Ford truck. Like they're everywhere. Have you noticed it? Like just leave today and count them on the way home. And you, I swear you'll count at least 10 on the way on your drive home. Because they're every, everybody has one, it seems like. But I never noticed it until I started looking for them. See, the same is true, I think, when it relates to conversations with people. Like if you're not looking for them, you're, you're probably not going to see them. And so you want to train your brain on how to look for them and how to identify them. And then when you do see them, the second thing I want you to hear today to live a life on mission is to actually engage in a spiritual conversation. This is what Philip is doing, right? He, he sees the man reading the scripture. He engages the man with what? A question. Hey, dude, you know what you're reading there? You know what that's about? And the guy's like, I have no clue, man. How am I supposed to know unless somebody tells me? Isn't that really a principle of just conversations in general? Like when it comes to spiritual life, you're, you don't know what your coworkers or your neighbors or your friends, you know, really need unless you ask them. You don't really know what they believe about spiritual. We, we have all these assumptions about people don't want to hear this. People don't, you know, they don't want this. I, I can't do this or they don't want to talk about this. That's just not true. I, I really believe people in our culture today are okay with spiritual conversations. And they may not be okay with some of the, the, the gospel principles, but they're okay with spiritual conversations. And so this is where I think the relational side of things is important. He, he doesn't know this guy, but this is why relationships are so important in your life because people that know that you care about them, they're more willing to have a spiritual conversation, aren't they? And if you're just knocking on doors and showing up and you're, that's kind of awkward, I get that. But so often we have these relationships. People do want to know. We have to ask the right questions. So we have to engage them. And, and, and I know what a lot of people are thinking when it comes to spiritual conversations. We think, well, I don't know how to do that. I just don't know how to do that. And so because we don't know how, we, we just kind of avoid it. But the reality is you can learn. You can learn. I know there's some introverted people in here. And so conversations might be awkward at times for you. But but we can learn that. Some of you are, are really good about talking about football. You're really good about talking about weather. But then when it comes to spiritual things, you clam up. You get shy. We can learn. Why do we, why do we clam up? Because we're in a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle. Satan and his demons are fighting literally to send as many people to hell as possible. And the Spirit of God is moving in the church, the church, not buildings, walls, church, institution, church, people. We are the church. That's why we, we're calling you to be the church. God uses people to bless other people with the gospel, to have these conversations. And so, so we're in this battle with the Lord. We're, we're working in His power to share this truth with people and winning people to Christ. So there's a battle going on. So this isn't just about your insecurities. This isn't just about your fears, even though we let fear dominate us sometimes. This is about a spiritual battle. And the reality is, for some of you, Satan is kicking your butt. I mean, he is just, he's just cleaning the floor with you. Because you're, you don't know who you are in Christ. You're not trying to grow in that. You're fearful about, you know, talking to people. You're not really strong in your own faith. And you're just letting the enemy, you know, destroy you. He's just beating you to death. And you're just believing it and experiencing it. You see, the gospel has a way of transforming the way that you think. It has a way of transforming your relationships. 
but it does require relationship with Jesus. And so as we think about this, sure, we don't know how, maybe that's part of it, we can learn. Maybe we don't pray about these moments. Maybe we're too busy with this, but it boils down to this war. And we've got to fight as Christians. So a few, few sub points here on, on, on um, actually engaging people or, or looking for these opportunities and, and engaging in these spiritual conversations. And the first letter, is, first letter A is, is it takes initiative to talk about spiritual matters. You've got to take the initiative. Philip asked the man a question. If all we're doing is sitting back and we're not engaging people, taking the initiative to talk about spiritual things, then, then we're never going to experience these God moments, these powerful moments that, that transform us. And can I just say, there is nothing that, is, that feels like that experience of talking about Jesus with, with people who don't know him. And if God ever blesses you, and I hope that he does, the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, like nothing compares to that. When somebody is hurting and broken and you are encouraging them with, with gospel truth, with spiritual wisdom, there's nothing like, it's the, I mean, it, it, it's the greatest experience that, that I think we can experience on life that we're actually in the spirit of God working in people's lives with this truth and it's changing them. This is a powerful, powerful thing. And, and what we see uh, Philip doing is engaging somebody that he should have been um, maybe intimidated by because this is an, an Ethiopian guy that was in charge of all the treasury. He's riding in a chariot. So he's very powerful. He's very wealthy. He's most likely educated. And he's riding in a chariot. And here's Philip, you know, he's walking. He's got nothing, right? And, and all of a sudden now he's going to talk to this guy, this high up official leader guy. Yeah, I'm sure he was intimidated, but he doesn't let that hold him back. He actually initiates the conversation and the man receives Christ as a result. And then he says as they're walking by, oh man, hey, there's some water, let's get baptized. He says, what prevents me from getting baptized? Because Philip obviously explained what baptism is. And we're gonna see this as we continue to read the book of Acts, that every time somebody puts their faith in Christ, then they're baptized. It's a progression, you know. And in our day and time, a lot of, you know, churches or organizations will baptize babies and, and then some of you were baptized as a kid and then you really came to know or put your faith in Christ at a later age. And so we see this progression over and over again every single time in the Bible. Just read it, read the whole book and, and circle it and underline it. People put their faith in Christ and then they're baptized because baptize, uh, baptism doesn't save you but it's one of the first, it's the first step of faith in Christ. And so it's, a, it's going public with your faith. It's you saying to the world, I am identifying as a follower of Christ. And it's a symbol as we go under the water of the old Trent dying and the new birth, the new, the new life that I have in Christ. And so that's why when we baptize, we are saying buried with him in baptism because Jesus was buried and then he rose from the grave. And so as we, as, as we bring people up out of the water, we say, rises to walk in newness of life forever. So it's symbolic and it's a huge step of obedience. Some of you haven't been baptized. Let me just ask you a question. What prevents you from being baptized? What prevents you? What's stopping you from taking that faith? I don't want people to see me. They think that I'm already a Christian. I should have already had that figured out. Okay, pride, I get it. You know, what prevents you? I'm just nervous. What prevents you? You see, we see it over and over again. 
we, we put our faith in Christ and then we're baptized. In two weeks, we're gonna have a baptism service. We're baptizing in every service. If you've made a decision, whenever that was, you've never been baptized or maybe you got it reversed and out of order, I wanna encourage you to take that step. Two weeks, we're gonna baptize on that day and uh, we can help you pick whatever services and you can invite family and friends. It should be a great day for this to take place. Just write it on your Connect card today. Just, I wanna be baptized, put your name and number, put it in the giving stations or go to the care and prayer room today and just say, you know what, I need to be baptized and, and uh, I want to do that. Trent was talking about it and they will, they'll hook you up. So this man, he's, he's baptized. So, so I, I, I get it though. Every time we talk about faith, like everybody has different fears and different struggles. And so on October 22nd, uh, we're going to have a, a workshop here that, that's really going to dive into this. But I do want to whet your appetite a little bit today uh, because we're really passionate about you guys having these gospel conversations on a regular basis because I truly believe God is bringing people into your life and crossing your path. And, and, and I truly believe if, if we will get excited about this and learn how to do this, that God will, will do incredible things. And so um, in the story that I told earlier, I was talking about how my sister-in-law prayed for this woman. Um, and so one of the things that we're doing as a staff and what we're trying to encourage and what we're gonna train you to do is to care for people through prayer. And so we know when we talk to people, I mean, in the first five minutes, we hear some form of brokenness in their life. And, and just start thinking about that and start listening for that. They're, you're going to talk to a friend today or tomorrow, and in the first five minutes, they're going to say something about how work has been difficult. Ding, area of brokenness. They're going to talk about how their marriage is struggling. Ding, they're going to talk about perhaps you know, people in Florida that they are related to or friends that they're worried about. Ding. These are areas of brokenness in their life and, and, and things that aren't quite right. And so when you hear that as a follower of Christ, if you truly want to care for them, then we want to encourage you to, to stop in that moment and say something like, you know what, man, I, 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 I really hate that you're going through that. I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. Can I pray for that person? Can, I, can we pray for those people that you know in Florida that you're concerned about? And, and I, I, you know, in, in our culture, you're going to get a, a majority of the time, I've never had anybody say, no, can't pray for me. And I've been doing this for a while now. Nobody's ever said, don't pray for me. Right? But it might happen to you. I'm not saying it can't. But if you ask them to pray for them, and, and, and you actually right then and there, wherever you're at, in the office, in the neighborhood, wherever, you actually pray for that situation. What you're demonstrating is a level of care for that person. This is how we care for people. We, we pray for them. See, in our culture, it's typically, hey, we'll be praying for that. And then we never do, right? Guilty. Everybody's done that. It's terrible. We're terrible people. Okay. But we could actually pray right then and there. And I'm not saying do some elaborate weird, oh God, we just want, no, just pray a short prayer. Say, God, you know, bless so-and-so. They're in, in Florida. Watch over and protect them, God. And uh, we pray you do great things in their life. And, and, and that's it. And then after that, that person is going to, sense and, and you're genuinely going to care for them and they're going to sense that and then maybe you could say hey how about next week we go grab coffee or how about next week we grab you know lunch and in that lunch and in that coffee again we are building a relationship with them we're we're showing them that they care now they may never accept Christ <laughs> that's okay you know I mean, it's not okay but it doesn't mean we stop hanging out with them it doesn't mean that that we don't start, that we ever stop pursuing that relationship and showing that love and showing that care and watering those seeds that were planted in that person's heart, right? And so that's a very simple way to do that. Secondly, letter B is it takes a generous person 
to engage these conversations. And, and when we talk about generosity, we're talking about the knowledge that we have in the gospel, the knowledge that we have been forgiven, that we are sinners to our core, that we were enemies of God, and the grace of Jesus found us and saved us and changed us. How could we be so selfish to not want other people to experience that? The only reason that we would not want to share that is if we haven't ourselves experienced it. And so that's kind of a wake-up call. Like, when you experience the grace and love and truth of the gospel, that so radically changes you that you want other people to experience that. And so it takes a generous person, but it also takes a compassionate person, somebody who is compassionate enough to talk about the gospel, to have spiritual conversations. In Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 18, he has several parables there. One of them is called the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus said, if, if there's a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, one, one goes away, will he not leave the 99 to go after the one sheep? And the point Jesus is trying to make is absolutely he will. He'll have compassion for that lost sheep and he'll, he'll go after that lost sheep. He, he will seek that lost sheep out. Folks, it takes compassion for you to desire to run after the lost sheep in this community. And some of us just aren't compassionate. Some of us just don't care. Well, they're, they're different than I am. You know, they're from a different culture or they're a different color. Or they don't, you know, they're just different. You know, they're, they're immigrants, and so I don't know. You know, they're moving in. And I mean, li- listen, like, how, how can we be, how, how can we have such compassionless hearts? Well, they're in this kind of lifestyle, and I don't know. You know, that's, that's, that's a terrible, ungodly attitude. Christopher Hancock was a priest at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, England in the 80s, and he was a part of the Magdalene College there in Cambridge, and when he came on staff, he, they gave him his office, which was occupied by a previous theologian there, and uh, it had some old bookcases and this really ugly brown rug that was in the office, and so he wanted to like, make it look better in there, so he painted the bookcases, and he, he asked the, the campus staff, the, you know, the facilities guys, to come in and, and get rid of this ugly brown rug, and, and uh, they just ignored him the first couple of weeks. And then you know, he asked again, and still nothing happened, and he's like, man, how? I, what do I got to do to get this uh, ugly rug out of here? And, and uh, he finally asked one of the, his pro, uh, professor buddies, and he's like, hey, man, wh- why are they not taking this brown rug out? And he said, Christopher, don't you know who occupied that office? He's like, no, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, C.S. Lewis used to be in that office. And if you're a Christian and you don't know C.S. Lewis, you, you, you got to go home and read some C.S. Lewis. He's great, one of the greatest thinkers and, and authors of, of our time. Right? This was, this was C.S. Lewis's office. Now all of a sudden, this ugly brown rug that I wanted to throw away, it's worth something, right? So he gets it appraised, and it's worth over $250,000. Why? Because of who owned it. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we don't see people as, as children of God. We don't, we don't value them because they're different from us. We're intimidated by them. They look different than us. But when you begin to have a compassionate heart towards people who are lost, when you begin to understand that that they are children of God, that a seed has been planted in that person, 
or that God is going to use somebody to plant a seed into that person. And he is going to save them and he's inviting you and he's, he's, he's giving me this opportunity to water that plant or to or actually plant that seed of faith. And we realize that, man, they, they, they're children of God. They, they're owned by God here. When we begin to see that and understand that, then maybe we value people more. Then maybe we, we destroy some of our prejudice bigotry that, that we have inclined to allow culture to, to build in, in our own sinful hearts. And, and it's time for us to see people for who they are as children of God, loved by him, precious children that Jesus died on the cross for. How could we lack compassion? So we've got to engage in these spiritual conversations. And then finally, number three, we want to develop a sense of urgency. Like we don't have a lot of time. We've got to make this impact. You never know when that person at work is going to, you know, move and, and get a new job or you never know when a friend is going to move or somebody's going to pass away or, or you're going to move and you're not going to be in their life anymore. Like we have to have a sense of urgency about ourselves. We don't have enough time to tell everybody about the gospel. So we need to be about it. We need to be thinking about it. We need to be looking for these opportunities and we want to take advantage of these opportunities to plant these seeds of faith. You realize that there are 2 billion people in the world that have never heard the gospel. Two billion people. It's hard for us even to fathom what two billion people looks like. I, I understand, but that is a lot of people. They have never heard the gospel. There was an evangelistic profile of Knoxville done by the Intercultural Institute for Contextual Ministry back in 2016. And here's what they discovered after their study in Knoxville. I've shared this before, but I think it's important. 40% of the people in Knoxville, which is, uh, we'll just say 500,000 people, not quite, but We'll just round up there. 40% of them said that they are done with the church. In other words, they've, they've been in church, they've experienced it on some level, but they are done with the church. 40%, 175,000 people. There's another 40% of them said that they have no religious affiliation. Zero religious affiliation. So that's another 175,000 people in Knoxville in our backyard, 350,000 people that are just saying, I don't want Jesus. I'm not in church. We're, we're, we're not claiming a religion, right? I think there's a lot more than that. I think there's a lot more than that. But that's evidence that there are thousands in our own back door. Tom Rainer, uh, president of Lifeway, and he author, speaker, one of my friends and mentors, he wrote The Unchurched Next Door. It's a book that was a study uh, across the country. And in his study, he found that 82% of the people that he interviewed that were unchurched, in other words, they have, they'd never been to church, said that they would attend church if someone invited them. Eight out of 10 people who are unchurched, they don't go to church, said that they would go if they were invited by a friend. I mean, that, that should speak Real, that's just speaking really highly. Like they'll, they'll come if we just invite them. Now hang with this math lesson for a minute. They say there are 160 million unchurched people in America. If half of them would come if we invited them, that means that 80 million people would attend church next Sunday across the country. Can you imagine that? Like if, like if 80 million people, just half the people, came 
after an invitation, what would we do? Like, are we ready for that? We think, oh man, that could never happen, Trent, because we have Holy Spirit part two. It's not the full one, remember? (laughs) Come on, it's ridiculous. God wants to do so much more in your life. God can and wants to do so much more in you and through you, but your faith is is not strong enough. Your focus is, is not on the Lord You're focused on your problems and issues. There's not a better way to overcome depression and anxiety than to start sharing the gospel. I'm just telling you. There's not a better way to overcome your personal problems than to get excited about sharing the gospel with someone else because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just does something in your heart and it changes you. I can't explain it. It changes you. The problems that you have in your marriage begin to... I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, not everything is solved. But when you live on mission for Jesus, something happens in your marriage. Something happens. Something happens in your kids when you begin to talk about Jesus with other people. Now, a lot of difficult things can happen because we're in a war. It's not like you're going to get the raise and everything's going to be hunky-dory because we are in a battle. But I'm just telling you something. There's something, there's a peace that transcends all understanding. There's a power that transcends all understanding in your life when you are living on mission for the Lord. We talk about our strategy here as being invest and invite. So we want you to invest in relationships with people and we encourage you to invite them to church. And we believe that as you invest in that relationship, as you invite people to come to church, they hear the gospel, they experience God's church, their life is transformed. And so we want you to be encouraged today to, to be on the lookout for these opportunities, to have these gospel conversations with people, to be busy about inviting people. In two weeks, Bacon Sunday, perfect opportunity. You tell somebody, hey, our church is having Bacon Sunday. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, it's a Bacon Sunday. Well, there's going to be lots of bacon on Sunday morning and lots of great appetizers. Everything is better wrapped in bacon. Amen? Right? And, and so it's going to be a good day to start the day off with some, with some food. And, and uh, I'm going to preach the gospel. And this is going to be a great day. I, I hope that you'll invite people. Now, I read a story. Um, it was entitled, Left to Die on Mount Everest. Back in 2006, this happened. And a guy by the name of David Sharp was hiking Mount Everest. And, um, you know, Mount Everest, tallest mountain in the world. They were at 26,000 feet. And once you reach that level, that's called the death zone. And and they say once you reach that, that height that, you know, you're, you're busy, you know, keeping yourself alive. Like your body begins to physically, you know, die at that point. And your, your digestive system starts to shut down. Blood oxygen dwindles. Your brain cells begin to starve. So it's a, it's a serious uh, altitude to, to, to be in. And, and um, Sharp was struggling and he collapses on the trail He's only three feet from the trail, still roped in, still clipped in on the line there. And uh, as he is, as he's struggling, sitting there at 26,000 feet, the article says that there were 40 different climbers that passed by him on the trail on their way to the top. And because of his challenges, he eventually died. There was no storm. There was no, you know, avalanches. There, nothing weather-wise was, was related but 40 different people were so focused and busy trying to get themselves to the top, worrying about their own journeys, and they were too busy to stop and care for this guy that was right next to the trail. 
It's a tragic story. And I just wonder, how many dead people are you walking by today? How many dead, lost, hurting people are you going to ignore this week? How many people are you going to continue to ignore at work? How many family members are you going to continue to ignore because you got stuff to do, because you got your own problems? You know, I just imagine what it would look like if we started praying that God would give us these opportunities. We started asking God to help us to be alive and awakened to these opportunities and, and that we would actually engage people in these conversations and water these seeds that have been planted. I believe that we'll see revival and I believe we're going to because as a staff, we're, we're passionate about this and we want you to grasp this and grow in this and learn how to do this so that God begins to do incredible things in your own life. Last thing I'll share, then I'll pray, but um, I read a lot of business books and one of them uh, recently was Seth Godin's book and I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but in the book, he says that in business, it takes eight touches before somebody will engage your company. So if you're a business owner, eight touches. An advertisement, a commercial, an invitation, something like that, it takes eight, eight touches. And so I'm just thinking in terms of church world. And, and so as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I wonder if that's true for church. I don't know, but I wonder if it is, that it takes eight different encounters with you guys and with me and somebody who's lost in our community before they actually attend, before they actually, you know, come to our church. And so I started praying and thinking about it. And I was like, I want us to start, I want us to start processing this. And so I'm, I started calling up Project 8. So Project 8, who's the person in your life that you need to go home and start planting seeds in, start watering those seeds, start, start inviting them to church because it's going to take eight encounters, right? Eight encounters with this person before they'll actually attend. Now, you may get lucky and they may come on, on, on ask number one, and that's great. Now, I, you may be here because somebody invited you here today. And, and how awesome is that? Like, we're, we're glad you're here. We want you to know who Jesus is because we believe he can change your life. Two weeks, we've got a great opportunity. I hope you'll begin to take advantage of it. Let's pray. God, we, we pray that you would help us to overcome our fears, our insecurities, God, we ask that you would give us these divine appointments. We do ask, God, that you would equip us, that you would give us the courage, take the initiative, ask people questions, pray with them. And we do pray, God, that you would begin to, to do things in our own heart as we live a life on mission for you. There are people hurting all around us, Lord. Help us to, to care. Help us to be busy about growing so that, so that we can help them. We can show your love to them. Lord, I pray that today you'll start a fire in each one of us. You'll give us that sense of urgency, Lord, that there are millions, there are literally billions of people that haven't heard about you. I pray that you'll call some people in this room into full-time ministry. They'll plant churches. They'll move around the world for the gospel. I pray that there are, there are businessmen and women in the room who will take the gospel to their workplace, that there are students that will take it to their campus, to their dorm rooms. God, you'll begin to start a fire where people all around this church are sharing the gospel with their friends. Father, work this in our heart today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.